You are listening to Meet the Thriller Author, the podcast where I interview writers of mysteries, thrillers, and suspense books. I am your host, Alan Peterson, and this is episode number 145. On today's podcast, you'll be meeting Minneapolis-based author and journalist and true crime expert William Swanson, who has written extensively over the past several decades on crime, law enforcement, and the courts. He's the author of three true crime books, one of which was the basis of a recent Investigation Discovery Network docudrama and is currently optioned for film. Now, under his pen name, W.A. Winter, he continues to bring high suspense to thriller fans with his April 20th release, The Secret Lives of Dentists. This is a great thriller novel that was inspired by the 1955 case of A. Arnold Axelrod, a Minneapolis dentist accused and tried for the murder of one of his young female patients. But before we get to the interview, I wanted to let you know about my Thrilling Reads mailing list. Go to thrillingreads.com forward slash deals and sign up to receive my hand-picked recommendations on a great selection of discounted titles on all types of mystery and thriller books, uh, military, crime, espionage, political, police procedural, techno-thrillers, cozy mysteries, and many more. I only email twice a month, so you won't get bombarded with daily emails or junk or anything like that. So go to thrillingreads.com forward slash deals and sign up, and you'll be able to check out the uh, great uh, deals that I have lined up for everybody. All right, so here is my interview with W.A. Winter. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Good to be here. Glad to have you here. And so you're a journalist. You've written true, uh, true crime books. Uh, what led you to write a novel? I have been a journalist, a working journalist, as we like to say, for <laughs> 50 plus years. And during that time, I have always been interested in novels. I've been interested in, in fiction. I've, I guess that's been my secret ambition, although not so secret. Uh, several years ago, decades actually, I started writing in my spare time, writing uh, uh, mainly suspense stories and novels, and uh, put them in a drawer. And frankly, didn't uh, didn't uh, see much future for them. Uh, meantime, I'm working full time as a journalist. I'm writing a lot of magazine stories, and uh, and eventually, I wrote three, as you said, three uh, nonfiction books. Uh, uh, true crime books that were published here uh, beginning in 2006. I thought, well, I'm going to I'm going to take some of these stories that I've been working on and see if I can expand them into into working novels. So I took 3 of those manuscripts and they became ebooks. They're available uh, on um, on Kindle and via Smashwords if you're familiar with that. Mm-hmm. They're all set in Minneapolis or St. Paul. They're very dark. Uh, Noirish is uh, probably Midwestern noir is how I think of them. Uh, no happy endings. <laughs> <They're>, <laughs> they, they, they generally uh, feature ordinary people who just get in a bind because of their own doing, because of their own uh, dishonesty to themselves and to others, uh, their rampant lust. Uh, my my characters tend to be lustful types, or because they're just they're careless. They're they're, they're careless people, and and they get in trouble. So, um, very ordinary in that sense. Who who are in extraordinary find themselves in extraordinary uh, circumstances, sometimes deadly. After I wrote those three, uh, I had another idea. This was a new one, uh, but it's based on an old story. 
in fact, it's probably the, the, the story that got me interested in, in crime writing uh, in the first place. It involved the uh, a murder of a, of a young woman uh, and the eventual conviction of her, of her dentist, of all people. Uh, this took place in 1955. It was a very, very big story in this part of the country. As a kid, I, I was 10 years old, and I, I remember lying on the living room rug uh, reading, uh, transfixed, uh, the daily stories in the papers. <laughs> And kind of odd stuff for a 10-year-old, but I was also interested in baseball, so it wasn't, uh, <laughs> it wasn't quite as perverse as, as it sounds, I guess. Uh, but anyway, this story has been in my mind for a long time. And, uh, and after I wrote my other uh, true crime books, I thought, well, I'm going to revisit the, uh, the Axelrod story. This is the, the dentist's name was A. Arnold Axelrod. And maybe I would, I would write a, a true crime story about that. But there, was, uh, there were very few principals alive by this time for me to interview. I'd like to do that. There was also a, a, an odd scarcity of, of official documentation as the, uh, uh, as the police files were kind of thinned out over the years. So I thought, well, what I want to do is is write my own story, and and so, I, I, a Secret Lives of Dennis is about a dentist, uh, obviously, and uh, the title comes from a, a terrific piece of journalism that ran in in Harper's Magazine back in 1982 by a man named a journalist named David Owen, and it's called The Secret Lives of Dentists. And it's one of those stories that just sticks with you for a long time. And, it's a, and it was nonfiction. It was about his research into the, the dental profession, uh, which was rife with, with, uh, with uh, mental illness and depression and, and, and suicide. Uh, at least that for a time, uh, uh, Dennis had the, had the largest incidence of, of suicide of all the professions. <laughs> but, yeah, I remember and, reading about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's, I suppose you know, there were, Owens Owens uh, 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 speculates that you know maybe having your your hands in other people's <laughs> mouths uh, for eight hours a day and and be generally hated um, by your by your patients uh, would would put you in a in a in a in a dour state of mind. But uh, anyway, I, I created this novel around inspired by this case i took i invented many many more characters and and uh, uh changed all kinds of, of things and created new events so the best i can say it's it's inspired by that story it certainly isn't based on it in the in the way that a lot of novels are based on uh, factual events it must have felt a little liberating for you though to instead of writing true crime, we have to be so careful about the facts to be able to just kind of run with it. Was that the, did you enjoy that part of it? Yeah, it's, it, <laughs> well, I enjoy writing. I, I everything I've written, I, as painful as it sometimes is, I, <laughs> I really enjoyed it. Uh, there's really nothing I'd rather do and, and nothing I can do. I mean, I don't know what else to do. So yeah, the sense of, of, of inventing people, of playing God, uh, something I've, I've enjoyed doing since, uh, again, I was a small boy. I used to invent stories 
down my basement based on a little or centered on a little town uh, with an electric train set. And I would create these dramas just by myself. And uh, uh, what inspired me, I don't know, but uh, I've, I've always loved doing that. I love creating these characters uh, who, honestly, I mean, it sounds corny. I hope my wife isn't listening, but I, they're, they're, they're more real to me in many cases uh, than, than the, the real people I know. They're really flesh and blood. Maybe all fiction writers say that. And so the, this book is set in the 1950s. Is that the, was that a challenge at all? Like getting the lingo right, the details, or have you written well, a little fiction? bit? It's, it's again, it, as a journalist, I, I, I've spent my career getting, getting things right, at least uh, getting things uh, accurate. You know, I do research uh, for my fiction, not as extensively as with, with my nonfiction, but uh, uh, I mean, I've got old newspapers and I've got old magazines. Somebody uh, handed me a, a Minneapolis Miller uh, uh, scorecard <laughs> from 1955. Minneapolis Millers were the minor league team that preceded the Twins, uh, if you're not a baseball fan. And, uh, yeah, sure, I do that. I, I, I have, if, if this were on video, you'd see a huge map behind me. It's a map of Minneapolis from the early 1950s. Oh. And I, I, you know, I refer to that. And the idea is not to get everything uh, uh, accurate in, in a journalistic sense. Uh, it, it's, to, it's to create a reality that is as much in my head as it is in any of the any of the research materials that I've that I've looked at, um, but there are a lot of names in here uh, from the fifties in Minneapolis. Um, uh, a lot of place names, place sites. The neighborhood where this murder uh, uh, takes place is is my neighborhood today. I didn't grow up here, but I've lived here for forty plus years. This Linden Hills neighborhood in the southwest corner of the city. Not known for its uh, homicides, uh, by the way, which <laughs> made it an attractive place for me to stage this one. Um, but so, yeah, I, I, it is liberating. That's a good word for it. And, uh, and uh, I, 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 I've enjoyed that part of it just as I've enjoyed the, the rigor of, of sticking to the facts when I've, when I've been writing my journalism. That's a lot of great stuff. Suspense and thriller books coming out of Minnesota. John Sanford, William Ken Kruger, Brian yeah. Freeman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, it's a great writing community over there, huh? Well, I don't know if that, you know, people say that, but it, I, I always think that's more of a chamber of commerce. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, doesn't every state have writers? I, I, I don't I don't know if Minnesota has any, uh, has any uh, claim on, on the majority. But yeah, we got, you know, there's interesting stuff. And of course, we've got a long winter in which to uh, to hunker down and, and write these things. <laughs> okay, so we got like the, the, the gist of the secret lives of dentists, uh, but can you tell us a little bit about um, the story and uh, what, what, it's, uh, what it's about? Yeah, I'm telling you about my story now, yeah. the real story. <laughs> keep, keep that in mind. <laughs> uh, it's about a... It's about a, a, a very attractive young woman named uh, uh, Terry Hickman. That's her married name. Uh, she's 21 years old. She comes to Minneapolis uh, in, the, in the winter of, of, of 1954-55. And like a lot of 
young women uh, at the time who, who streamed into Minneapolis from northern Minnesota and from the Dakotas and so forth. Um, they're looking for jobs. Uh, they're looking for adventure. They're looking for love, not necessarily in that order. And they they sometimes get into trouble. They sometimes they're they're, they're easy prey for for predators. Um, they're easy prey for uh, for employers looking for cheap labor. <laughs> they're, mm-hmm. they're all of those things. And 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 uh, uh, Terry Hickman is is no fool, but she really really has a has a has a, a, a terrible craving for affection and. And for the um, the, uh, the the pleasures uh, of sex and companionship with with good-looking men, and because she's so attractive and really very charismatic physically, she draws them like flies. And practically from the moment she steps off the Greyhound bus in Minneapolis, coincidentally, uh, she is a married woman. Her husband is in the service in Germany at the time. Uh, she has a baby, presumably by this man, a uh, three-month-old child that she brings with her. After her murder, uh, she is found to be three months pregnant. I'm sorry, her baby isn't three months. Her baby is is uh, is uh, a year and a half old. She's found to be three months pregnant. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, she her her body is found uh, along an abandoned trolley track. In, uh, in the Linden Hills neighborhood of, of Minneapolis. It is shortly discovered, shortly afterward discovered that, uh, that the last person to see her alive was probably her dentist. Uh, her dentist in my telling is a, is a middle-aged man named, named Rose. His last name is, is Rose, David Herschel Rose. And he's been a dentist for about 20 years. He's married and, and, uh, and has a couple of, of uh, teenage daughters. Uh, he's respected, uh, not necessarily loved, but respected in the community. And uh, he's developed this, this, this uh, practice that serves uh, uh, women. That, you know, he has a large practice uh, um, uh, serving women, and, and uh, they're late afternoon, and he has evening hours for working women, and uh, and he's he's very very successful with that. Well, Terry comes to live and stays with her older sister, who has moved to Minneapolis previously, and she complains uh, shortly after her arrival. Terry does of a of a of a dental pain and she needs a relief uh, from her toothache and and grace her sister refers her refers her to dr rose whose office is right around the corner from their apartment on 15th street and nicollet avenue Um, now under i-94 but uh, in those days a, a busy rather seedy part of town she goes to the dentist and uh and uh establishes a relationship with him uh, that is uh, uh, that is more than, than than just dental in April uh, she goes to see him on a Friday night and on a Saturday morning uh, her body is is discovered by that by that abandoned trolley track and that sets off the investigation and that sets off the story 
Um, I don't know how much you want to hear about this. I don't know how much I want to tell you about it, Alan. But <laughs> yeah, you don't want to spoil the. Don't, don't give us any spoilers. <laughs> I, I don't. Yeah, I, I, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna not gonna tell you how far this goes. But uh, there is a, an extensive investigation. Uh, uh, there are several characters. We're seeing this. We're, this story. We're hearing from from several points of view. Including uh, the investigating the the two detectives who are assigned to the case, uh, Anderson and Curry, uh, they have their own issues. Uh, Anderson was a was a combat soldier in in World War II and uh, was involved in some some rough stuff during the the rescue uh, of of Bastogne, uh, part of uh, Patton's Third Army, and he's haunted by that and. Uh, uh, he's also haunted by a, or bothered by uh, uh, an overactive uh, libido, and uh, that, that gets him into into problems too. There's a young journalist uh, from Rochester who's uh, who's uh, a reporter now for the United Press International. Uh, he gets involved, uh, and uh, there's a a sinister character I refer to only. Uh, until the very end of the book as the driver and he's a cab driver and he tends to be where things are happening uh, today we would call him a stalker uh, he, he is he is cruising uh, the, the city as a cab driver I mean, he's a working cabbie he's got a big family at home um, but he's always got his eye out for the attractive women and the, the, the book opens with, with him talking briefly with, with, with Terry uh, Hickman, who is by then working at a greasy spoon not far, not far from her apartment. Uh, the owners of the, of the greasy spoon, it's a, it's a luncheonette. Um, they're involved in the story as well as, as, as a handful of of, of young men who are somehow connected with Terry. They're drawn to her. They, they, they one is a photographer and <laughs> you can kind of figure out where that goes, but it's, it's a, it's a multifaceted story from a lot of points of view. And it proceeds through the summer of 1955 with this very high profile, uh, sensational trial of the dentist that ends in, uh, in, in, uh, in, in a jury verdict that I, won't, uh, that I won't discuss. Complicating the matter, and two of the things that I was very interested in was this sense of, of fear and loathing that people had certainly back then uh, for dentists. Uh, you know, they, that was just about the worst thing a kid could do is go to the dentist. You got to go to the dentist. They'd do anything to avoid going to, to the dentist. It was just a scary place. They were not so good with their pain relief that, uh, as, as they are today. And so there was that, there's just that basic fear and hatred of, of dentists that, uh, that David Owen refers to in his, in his magazine story. Uh, and then... Dr. Rose happens to be Jewish. And Minneapolis at the time, certainly around uh, World War II, had been described by journalists na nationally as, as America's 
anti-Semitism capital. Mm. So I was very interested in the notion that, uh, that uh, you know, how does, how, how do the police, how does the public, how does the jury uh, deal with a Jewish dentist uh, accused of, of murdering this attractive young woman who was pregnant, by the way. That's really the dynamic of this, is, is, that, is that odd sense of coming to grips with a horrible crime, but also uh, dealing with the background or the, the personality in the religion, in this case, of, of, of the accused. Minneapolis was heavily Lutheran and Catholic in those days, uh, heavily Scandinavian and German. Uh, the Jewish uh, uh, population was there, but uh, Jews really until, well, in the late 50s, early 60s, maybe even beyond, were discriminated against uh, much the way blacks uh, have been, you know, in housing and in jobs. Uh, uh, Jewish doctors had to create, had to form their own hospital in order to get operating uh, privileges in the city of Minneapolis. Uh, According to some reports, they couldn't join the YMCA or any of the other service clubs. They had to form their own country club because they couldn't, they couldn't join a country club, uh, an existing country club in the, in the Twin Cities. Uh, it, was a, it was really a shocking situation that I discovered. I, I wasn't aware of that. I didn't know any, any, any Jews growing up. Um, none in my neighborhood. We were all Lutherans and Catholics and a couple of Baptists, and that was it. So, you know, it was just kind of out of mind, out of sight. But to discover that there was this, you know, this, this institutional bigotry was, 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 really, uh, was, was really shocking to me, even in my mid to old age. So uh, that's part of the dynamic, and, and that's a uh, long story. Uh, short uh, Alan is, is the basis of this book and now were you always a fan of of growing up were you a fan of thrillers and mysteries is uh, uh, we a big reader of those genres well I was a huge reader of every uh, you know my my early heroes were were Hemingway and, and Faulkner and I, I I was very I minored in English at the University of Minnesota and uh, really deeply enamored of literature, serious literature of all kinds. I didn't read many thrillers, actually, until later on. And uh, uh, now I can say, you know, my, my favorite writers are, are the great uh, suspense uh, noir writers like George V. Higgins, Elmore Leonard, uh, James Elroy. Um, these guys really, really knew how to write and in Elroy's case knows how to write he's still alive um I I have learned so much about the craft of writing from reading these people uh they are just great writers and like all great writers uh they have a they they not only have a an overwhelming sense of the sadness and the tragic part of life. They also have a rollicking sense of humor. Uh, Elmore Leonard makes me laugh out loud every time I read his, his stuff. And, and 
Uh, if you haven't read him uh, or George V. Higgins, uh, I, I really highly, highly recommend them. And, but my, my, you know, I, my, my interest in, 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 in crime, as I say, comes from just this curious little kid. I love to read Dick Tracy. That was the first comic strip I would turn to in the paper every day. I can't explain it beyond that, Alan. I, I, you know, I grew up in a in a in a conservative uh, home. I had, you know, four uh, uh, older siblings. My dad was killed in a car accident when my mother was still pregnant with me, so there was no father there. And maybe that gave me a sense of an unspoken sense of of, of, of things that can that can happen happen out of the blue and change change lives, probably not for the better. But I, uh, I, I you know, I, I didn't grow up reading the suspense fiction so much as the, as the crime journalism. That was really my entree into the genre, if we want to call it that. Is that what, you, what led you to becoming a journalist too? That uh... I think so. I, I, I think so. I, 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 as I say, I always like to read and, and writing kind of came with that. Uh, my dad was an artist, and and I had I had dreams of of being an artist too. So as a kid, I didn't write so much as as draw pictures. I drew every every afternoon after school. I'd sit and draw pictures at the kitchen table. So you know, writing just kind of evolved into this whole storytelling thing. It was all about stories, I guess, of all kinds. And uh, I I really didn't start writing seriously for for a serious audience until I was. I guess uh, uh, at the University of Minnesota, and I decided to major in, in journalism. And, and I wrote in the army. I was in the army for two years, and, and I was, I was, you know, an editor of a newspaper. And and, uh, and then one thing led to another as I got back here. Eventually, uh, daily journalism, daily newspaper journalism, and wire service journalism, both of which I did for a while. Um, gave way to to long form journalism, and if there was a if there was a single book that um, that was uh, that was a determinant in my life, it was in cold blood. Mm -hmm. uh, I was an undergraduate at the University of, of Minnesota, and I would sit in the uh, in the J School library and read each successive installment of In Cold Blood that appeared in the New Yorker. I couldn't afford a subscription to the New Yorker, so I'd read it at the library, and and I was just blown away by it. I was blown away by this, by this merging of of deep crime reporting, uh, even though some of it later turned out to be incorrect, in uh, in this in this novelistic form of storytelling. I couldn't get it out of my head. And, and one of my uh, journalism professors was equally uh, uh, excited about that about book and, and encouraged me to, to uh, you know, to, to follow that long form journalism, which then became very, very popular with Tom Wolfe and Gabe Talese and, and all kinds of other uh, great writers who appeared in, in Esquire, which in those days was really worth reading. It isn't now in the New Yorker. Those were the prime examples of the time harper's atlantic also yeah really there's been a lot of change in journalism though the last uh, 10 15 years kind of kind of a shame <laughs> well yeah it is I, I 
it's I'm still a big newspaper reader and mm -hmm. magazine reader. I, that's where I get most of my information. But I know that uh, that they're probably going the way of the buggy whip. I, I hate to say. I, I just uh, I hate to think that you know eventually everybody's going to be getting their uh, their 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 news from from the uh, from the internet. No offense. Yeah, no, it's 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 kind of crazy when I when I see an, an uh, article that seems interesting and I go to read it and it's just a bunch of uh, embedded tweets. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, really? This is this is yeah, the article. I know, I know, I know it. I, I there's there's something wonderful about about print on paper, uh, uh, not least the fact that you as a re reader are controlling the flow. You know, you can you can stop and yell at it and throw it across the room, or you can underline parts, or you can call up your brother and read parts of it. You know, there's just you, you're in control of the whole thing, and, and, and nothing really is intruding in that. And so, what is that for for fiction writing? What's your writing process like? Do you outline these before you start writing, or do you write by the seat of your pants? I like to have a plan. I, I I've never been a good. I I got in trouble in school because I I. I never did my outlines correctly. They, they really seem too confining, but I always have a plan. And the plan might just be a page of, you know, of bullet points. And, uh, and then I will, I will develop from that basic plan. I will develop a, a larger, more detailed plan. And I would, I will start filling out, uh, my characters' personalities and their motivations and their jobs, etc. Um, they will they will get names at some point. Sometimes they have names right away. I'm I'm I don't know why, but I'm really big on names. Names to me are extremely important, uh, at least to me as I'm writing about about these people. They really help me understand. Who the character is, or who the character should be. Um, so it's 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 stuff like that. It just it things build, and then I sit down at some point. I, I just can't wait uh, any longer. I I just the story is is ready to go, ready to come out. It's it's not ready to go, but it's ready to come out of my head, and uh, and uh, and I and I put it on paper. I, I write on a computer, of course. Mm. Um, and then I, I revise uh, a lot. I add things. Uh, the Secret Lives of Dennis had an entirely different ending uh, from the one that, that we have. Uh, and I won't tell you that either. <laughs> I don't want you to say, gee, you should have had that first ending. You know, that was, he made a big mistake there. Uh, yeah, so it's... Uh, it's a process that takes a long time, and, and I'm usually doing something else besides. Uh, I believe in writing. I, I believe in writing as a job. Um, you know, Gate Talese always used to, maybe he still does, uh, put on his his three piece uh, bespoke spoot, uh, suit, and uh, in the morning, and, and go down to his writing room and sit there like he's like he's. Uh, like he's dressed for downtown to do his work like that. Uh, there's something to the routine of, of getting ready for work in the morning, at least for my generation. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I'll be 76 in a couple of, of years. And, and, uh, so I, 
there's just something about that getting up and going to work. Uh, during these COVID times, that's kind of all gone to hell. But, yeah. <laughs> but that's the way I grew up, and and that's that's I've always treasured that. So I'm usually at my desk by you know eight thirty. I've read the paper, had my breakfast, walked the dog, and I will sit there from nine o'clock until five o'clock at night with a lunch break, and um, you know just treated very seriously with that routine and that discipline. As a as a job as a craft, I guess I would call it. Mm-hmm. And uh, one odd thing uh, in, in my case, for some reason, I am always most productive late in the afternoon, from about two three o'clock on to quitting time. Most everybody I know uh, say, "Oh, they're most they're most inventive, they're most creative, they're most productive in the in the morning." Well, I'm not, uh, even though I get up at six o'clock in the morning. But I really start cooking <laughs> about three o'clock. So that, that's kind of when most of the work gets done. Yes, yeah, like a slow, uh, a, a, a slow, a slow boil. <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. Yeah, slow boil. That's a good way to put it. So, uh, what's next for you? What are you working on now? Well, I've got another novel uh, that I'm, I'm. I'm ready to to show my publisher that Secret Lives of Dennis uh, will be published by an outfit in New York called Seventh Street Books. Uh, they specialize in suspense fiction, and uh, I have another suspense novel that's based on a another sensational crime story from my from my checkered past, and uh, this is about a, a crime family. Uh, in in Minneapolis, a uh, large dysfunctional family with a alcoholic hoodlum father and a neurasthenic uh, mother uh, who who get into you know some really terrible trouble and, and end up uh, murdering a policeman and uh, and another man and uh, and eventually die themselves. Um, this one is different because it's told by. One of the three, one of the brothers, one of the, the criminal brothers, mm. uh, who uh, who survives after being after going down in this police shootout that kills his brothers. He somehow survives that, but he's uh, he's in a wheelchair. He's been crippled by the by the police bullets. And years later, in fact, on the day he is dying himself, thirty eight years later. He recalls this whole family saga, and uh, his name is Joe Lavoy. And the, the the name of the book, at least for now, is "My Name Is Joe Lavoy." And he tells this story on the last day of his life. Uh, I think it's pretty damn good. Uh, we'll see if anybody else does. But well, it's, it's similar. It's similar to this in that it's 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 inspired by. Uh, uh, a case from my from my childhood. Yeah, see, it's not, it sounds good. So yeah, looking forward to it. <laughs> sign you up, huh? Yeah, sign sign me yeah. up. All right. So uh, so the secret lives of dentists will be published on April twentieth. Uh, so check that out. It was real nice uh, talking to you about your books and your process. Uh, thanks for being on the podcast. 
Oh, well, my pleasure, Alan. I, I certainly appreciate your interest. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Meet the Thriller Author. If you have a moment, please do check out thrillingreads.com forward slash links, where you'll be able to rate and review this podcast or simply rate this podcast wherever it is that you're listening to it, uh, be it Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Audible, Amazon Music, uh, whichever podcast app you prefer. Uh, please take a moment to rate this uh, podcast. It's the best way to help other fans of uh, mystery and thriller books to find the uh, podcast. And uh, it helps me get the word out. And so it's the best way to support the podcast. So I do appreciate that. And if you're interested, you can join my Thrilling Reads mailing list. You'll find the uh, sign-up form at thrillingreads.com forward slash links. Once you subscribe for free, you'll be notified about discounts and deals on great books in the mystery, thriller, and crime fiction genres. You'll also find my social media links and my author website over at thrillingreads.com forward slash links. So check it out and say hi. All right. Take care and stay safe until we meet again on the next episode of Meet the Thriller Author.